You're listening to a podcast from Columbia Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Our services are weekly at 10 a.m. We hope to see you there. Question for you guys. Anybody feeling any pushback these days? Put your hand up. Yell amen. Scream. Do you know why that is? Yeah, God is on the move. That's what's happening. If there was no pushback, then we should be concerned. Uh, But there is a problem, and that is God wants to teach us how to Press on through pushback and not give up, not give in. Two words that the Lord has given me over and over again recently is battle on. Not the battle is on, but a word to us, battle on. Don't give up, don't give in. You will have the victory. That's especially relevant during setbacks and disappointments and difficult times. I received some devastating news this week, personal to me, and it wanted to come, it wanted to push me into my Eeyore mindset. And the words came so clearly into my mind, battle on, battle on, battle on. And then the devastating news did not have the effect that it could have had. I felt like stopping praying for that because the news that came, I had been praying exactly the opposite for. Now, so what's the next thought? What's the use? Why? Battle on. Battle on. When the bad news comes, or any kind of news, when things look the opposite for which you're praying, battle on. Battle on. Pray again. Pray again. I wish I had some kind of magical formula for you, but all I got is this. Pray again. Jesus said, men ought always to keep on praying and never give up. Pray again. That's becoming very real to me. But Lord, pray again. Battle on. Has nothing to do with today's message. Just thought I'd share that with you. In case you're maybe in the same position I'm in, you're feeling the heat of the battle these days. This, what, this message today is... Very, very elementary. It's going to be foundational. For some of us, it's going to be so familiar, you might have a hard time paying attention. For others of us, this message could be life-changing today. Could change your life forever. Just like that. We'll begin by a way of introduction and a brief review. Last week, after much buildup and anticipation, Peter finally arrived at Cornelius' house, where Cornelius' household was gathered waiting for the message. And then we began looking at what exactly was the message Peter brought to Cornelius. This week, or last week's title, I'm sorry, was The Message. Verse 36 was the key verse in the text. This is the message. This is the good news. That's what we forget when we're in the battle, that there's good news. I could stand up here and tell you all the negative things that I have heard this week. Or I could stand up here and tell you 
all the positive things and the good news and who God is and what he's doing, and it would greatly outweigh and outnumber all the negative things I could tell you. It's what are you going to focus on? So this is the message of good news. There is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. This is the message that Peter brought Cornelius and his household from God. This is the message they needed to hear. There is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And that is the best news that you could ever hear. Unless you're earthly focused. But this is the best news you could ever hear. There is peace with God. Jesus Christ is Lord. In other words, Jesus is God. He's God himself come to earth in human form. Jesus is Lord of all. Wow, that was so encouraging for Cornelius and his family. Jesus is Lord of all, Gentiles and Jews alike, all mankind. See, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. So it's for all mankind. Mankind can have peace, reconciliation, intimate relationship, and fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. That is the message. That's the message Peter brought to Cornelius. That's the message we need to be taking the people out in the world. The world is desperate, in case you haven't noticed. Suicide rate is climbing through the roof. Domestic abuse, addiction levels climbing through the roof. This was the message Peter brought from God to Cornelius and his household. Today's title, Application of the Message. And verse 43 is the key verse. Starts out by saying, not only us, but all of the prophets agree in their writings that everyone who believes in him, that's Jesus, receives complete forgiveness of sins through the power of his name. Not only did Peter realize Cornelius and his household needed to know and want peace with God, reconciliation, intimate relationship, fellowship with God, they were going to need to know how to access this. What good does it do you to know something, to know something's available, but you don't know how to get at it? Recently, I needed to buy a new laptop, and I'm not that skilled in in IT stuff. And when I opened the package, the how-to manual was in uh, Spanish. What good does it do me? Thank you, Steve, for working me through that. What good did it do me to have a brand-new laptop and ready to go, and I couldn't access it? I didn't know how to get in. I didn't know how to set it up. And my instruction manual was in Spanish. Could have been Chinese. That's what I started to say. Could have been Chinese as far as I'm concerned. So what good did it do Cornelius to know this if they didn't know how to access it? If they couldn't apply it to their lives? If they couldn't make it real? So much spiritual truth. That's the case. We know it up here, but we don't really know how to access it and experience it. Thank you. Maybe that's not true for you. That's true for me. And, you know, Jesus said to his disciples, I have so much I want you to know. I want to tell you. I have so much I want you to experience. But you can't bear it now. They weren't in a position to access it yet. 
So Cornelius and his household heard this message of how there's peace, there's reconciliation, there's intimate fellowship and relationship with Christ, with God through Christ, but they had no clue how to make it real to them. This is essentially a how-to-get-it passage. This is a how-to manual for salvation. And I want us to notice something immediately. Boy, we as human beings, we complicate things. But I want you to notice immediately how to get saved is very, very simple. Actually, it's so simple, it's a stumbling block. People think it can't be that simple. Everyone who believes in him receives complete forgiveness of sins through the power of his name. That's pretty simple. How can such an important issue like eternal salvation be that simple? Because it's intentional on God's part because, see, we need simple. He makes it simple because God does not want anyone. Are you listening? Art's listening. Are you listening? He makes it simple because it's so important to God because, and the world will lie to you about this, and the flesh will lie to you about this, and the devil will definitely lie to you about this. God does not want anyone to be, eternal, to be eternally lost. No one. Not one. He wants none to perish in the lake of fire, also known as hell. Well, I don't really believe that, Pastor. Well, let me show you something. God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. Is that clear enough? But everyone to come to repentance supports our point. God does not desire that any should perish. And so does this next verse. God, our Savior, wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. This is foundational. God does not want anyone to perish. That's a good biblical word referring to God doesn't want anyone ending up in hell. God wants all people to be saved, which is a good biblical expression for salvation, for eternal life, together with God in heaven, the opposite of hell. That's God's intention for every human being, that you do not end up in hell. Yeah, but, but I've heard that God enjoys sending people to hell. Well, you don't know God and you heard wrong. God is desperately trying to stop people from going to hell, and they won't listen, and they won't turn to him, and then they'll blame it on him when it happens. Come on. God wants all people to be saved. And verse 43 is the how to attain this salvation manual. It's, the, it's a mantra that runs through all of Scripture, how to be saved. In this text that we had today, it's expressed as forgiveness of sins. See, the ultimate consequence of sin, sins, is eternal torment in the lake of fire, also known as hell. How many in here have never sinned? Then your eternal destiny is the lake of fire, hell. That's what you deserve. That's what I deserve. That's where we are headed. Unless we've come to Christ. That's our only out. Are you with me? The ultimate consequence of our sins 
is eternal torment, separated from God because he's perfectly holy. Sin can't be in heaven. How do we think we're going to go to heaven with our sin? Sin can't be in heaven. The sin problem has to be taken care of. There has to be forgiveness of sin. And it comes through a relationship with Jesus through the power of his name. Cornelius and his household, they needed forgiveness of sin. They needed forgiveness of their sins so they could inherit eternal life. And Peter was about to give them the how to gain this plan. This is true for us as well today. Salvation comes to man in every generation the same way. It's through faith in a Messiah. Old Testament saints looking forward to it. Us looking backward towards it, a Messiah who already came. But no one gets saved apart from faith in a Messiah, Jesus Christ. Genesis to Revelation. So verse 43 again. Not only us, but all the prophets agree in their writings that everyone who believes in him receives complete forgiveness of sins through the power of his name. Peter begins by assuring them, hey, this is not just something me and my fellow believers dreamed up that it would sound good and we'd start this movement, all the Old Testament prophets testify to this method of gaining forgiveness of sin and salvation. In Jesus' name. They didn't know the name Jesus in the Old Testament, but they knew it was a coming Messiah. Messiah of the New Testament is Jesus Christ. Salvation in Jesus is mentioned throughout the entire Old Testament. Sometimes it's veiled, but it sweeps through the Scriptures. Are you with me? I feel like I'm doing a lot of talking up here. God promised salvation. God promised deliverance from sin. God promised forgiveness of sin, which is what lands us in hell, in the person of a coming Savior, Messiah, and that person is Jesus Christ. Why do you think Satan has made Jesus such a curse word? You, never, you heard the joke, but you never heard anybody say, Oh, Buddha, oh, Muhammad. But you hear the name of Jesus Christ blasphemed all over the place every day. Because Satan wants to try and grovel that powerful name so that it can't do its work and bring salvation. It's no coincidence Jesus Christ is used as a curse word. There's too many Old Testament scriptures to cover, but I'm going to share one with us because it fits very nicely in today's text. And it's from Joel. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And we know when that's going to happen. That's going to happen in the last days, which began with Pentecost and run to the rapture. And then he adds this. During those days, during those last days, those days in which we live, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Joel's everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved is synonymous with Peter's anyone who believes in him receives complete forgiveness of sins through his name. If you remember, Peter actually quoted Joel in his message at Pentecost as he explained the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to those who were gathered in the upper room and then the the crowds and explained who Jesus Christ was Quite effectively, by the way. And he closed his message there in Acts chapter 2 with, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
3,000 people called upon the name of the Lord or believed in him, received forgiveness of their sins, and they were saved that day. That's the means of salvation. And it's so simple, and it's available to all. Here Peter breaks it down and he explains it more fully for Cornelius. They would need a fuller explanation because they were not Jewish. They would not have much understanding of the prophet Joel, what he even meant by calling on the name of the Lord. So we want to see for our sakes what exactly Peter did mean by calling on the name of the Lord, what Joel meant by calling on the name of the Lord, and what Peter means by believing in his name. Acts 10.43 again. Everyone who believes in him receives complete forgiveness of sins through the power of his name. Quick word study. Everyone. Peter reiterates this salvation in Jesus is for everyone. That was so important to Cornelius and his household. Salvation in Christ is for Jew and Gentile alike. The phrase believe in him. It's critical to understand what Peter meant by this verb. Stay with me here. This word translated believe is the primary Greek word used for faith. And faith means to trust, to be fully persuaded, to be completely confident. Trust, fully persuaded, completely confident of what? Of who Jesus says he is and what he says he has done. Fully persuaded, completely confident that Jesus is God. Fully persuaded, completely confident that his death, burial, and resurrection was enough for salvation. Another aspect of this word believe is that this belief is not just mental assent. Like, well, okay, I believe that. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. You know this verse. You can believe all you want. You can believe all you want that there is one true God. That's wonderful. Even the demons know this, and they tremble. They tremble with fear, yet they're unchanged. They remain demons. So mental assent that there is a God, mental assent that there was a Jesus, that does nothing for us. This word believe in the Greek, translated faith, it's so much more than, okay, I believe George Washington was the first president. That's about what saying I believe there is a God or I believe there was a Jesus Christ does for us. It's on the same level of I believe George Washington was the first president. I believe that history. It has to be so much more than that. Just believing there's a God, just believing that a Jesus existed is not enough. Even Satan and his demons believe that. It's not enough. The believing that Peter was telling Cornelius about, and they, of course, understood the language, it's a belief that compels you to action. It's a belief upon which you act. You act upon what you believe. If I'm laying down in the family room watching TV and one of my family members yells down, the house is on fire, get out, how do I prove that I believe them? What if I just continue to lay on the couch and watch TV? Yeah, I believe the house is on fire. Does nothing for me. This is belief that you have to act on. And this is where, unfortunately, many people miss salvation. They believe it up here. They never act upon it here. This belief causes one to put wholehearted trust in what they believe. 
That's why we're saved by faith. Believing is faith. So what Peter is saying to Cornelius and the gang is if you mentally agree with what I am telling you about, that's good. But you must act on it. You must put your trust in Jesus. If you truly believe he is who he says he is, if you truly believe he said what he, he did what he said he did, and the reason he had to do it, all men are lost because of sin, then you better act upon that and put your trust in it. Because the next thing he says, everyone who calls on me will be saved. Everyone who calls on me will receive forgiveness of sin. Everyone who calls on me will have now peace with God, be reconciled, relationship, intimate fellowship with God. Do you truly believe that? Then you need to act on that and come to Jesus. You know, we often said to our kids when they were just totally disobeying, they would say, we're going to have a come to Jesus moment here. Well, how do I even do that? We do it in prayer. Yep, God made it so simple. So simple, it's a stumbling block. Can it actually be that simple? We do it in prayer. Often you hear someone talk about praying the sinner's prayer. And then you'll hear somebody else say, well, there's no sinner's prayer in the Bible. And both are right. You get saved by praying a sinner's prayer, but there's no rote sinner's prayer in the Bible. The sinner's prayer is simply realizing what I'm telling you is true about who Jesus is and who you are and that you need him and then just crying out to him and telling him that you need him. Will he come into your life? And then you give him your life and salvation occurs. That's the easy part. Discipleship's the hard part. But we're talking about salvation today. A soul, a lost soul, simply realizing that they are a lost soul, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. You can't conjure that up. His work in the world is to convince us that we're lost. We'll never come to Jesus to get saved if we don't first know we're lost. Holy Spirit's the one who convinces us we're lost. Oftentimes, through his people, through believers, through messages, through the word, through books, through so many means, but the Holy Spirit convinces you you're lost. And then salvation is simply that lost soul realizing they're lost. And the Holy Spirit now has made that there's a way for salvation like Peter's doing for Cornelius. Lost soul, there's a way out of this lostness. And the lost soul taking it by crying out to Jesus and asking him to come in and save me. It is honestly as simple as that. When you're leading somebody to the Lord, I often fall into this trap. I make the prayer that I'm praying with them way too complicated. I could probably say, do you believe this is Jesus? Do you believe you need him? Then just ask him to come into your heart and tell him you're going to change and live for him. And it's probably good. But then we feel we've got to add all the other stuff. This is my own opinion. By the time someone is actually willing to pray and verbally cry out to Jesus, they most likely have already done it in their hearts and he saved them. We're just putting the icing on the cake. We're just making it official. We're just giving them a place where they can nail it down. Yes, this date, this time, I prayed that prayer. But in their heart, the moment they realized who Jesus was and who they were and that they needed him and they were willing to call upon him, eternal life. In any case, 
when you pray this prayer, when you pray those things I just was saying, Scripture says you will receive the forgiveness of your sins, and that's what's blocking your salvation. That's what's blocking Cornelius and his family's salvation. They were praying, remember? They were generous. They were doing good works, remember? We know so many people like that. Do you know the Lord? Well, I pray. You know, I, I try to do this and that. Wasn't enough. You gain eternal life. You escape the future consequences of, of your sin, which is hell, when you come to Jesus and he brings forgiveness of sins. You gain peace, reconciliation, intimate relationship, fellowship with him, and then you begin to grow and know him, but grow in the grace and the, and, but grow in the, grace and the knowledge of our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me just close this up. I just want you to look at the screen, and I want these verses to penetrate. They all support what we've just said. John 3, 14 to 36, I just lifted out some scripture from there, from that passage. The Son of Man, that's Jesus, must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't will never experience eternal life. And you know, it's so hard, I don't even want to say this because it includes me. In that anyone who doesn't who will never experience eternal life, we have a tendency to extend, to extend grace to our loved ones and people we know just thinking that God will somehow make another way for them because they will never end up in, in the lake of fire. And friends, I'm here to tell you there's only one way to not end up in the lake of fire, and that's to come to know Jesus. And those who come to know Jesus will evidence it. When you put names and faces in that last sentence, it becomes more real. It should become more of a driving force in our lives. Now, these are the actual words of Jesus. How many times did he say that? Anyone who believes in me and God's Son has eternal life. This is the essence of what Peter was telling Cornelius and those gathered around him. 1 John 5:12: whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. Or whoever believed in, whoever put their trust in, whoever called upon, whoever appealed to Jesus. Scripture mentions so many different ways. But whoever does that receives forgiveness of sin and has eternal life. This is the first verse that I ever memorized after I got saved. He who has a son has life and he who does not does not. And whenever Satan would tempt me about my salvation, you're not really saved. And there was a... I gave him enough room to do that, too, by the way. And so when he would come in like a flood and tempt me that I'm not really saved, I knew what I had did, and this was my verse. Wait a second. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever has the Son has life. I know I have the Son. I have salvation. I knew I had made a choice to trust Jesus. I knew I would put my trust in him. I had called out to him. I had appealed to him. And by the way, I have called out to him and appealed to him for salvation a thousand times since then. I just prayed the sinner's prayer with somebody this week. And as I prayed it with them, I made it my own again. 
I'm not taking any, any chances. I'm making sure I'm in. If you get shaky and Satan's coming in like a flood, don't be afraid. Get down on your knees and go back to the starting place. Just make sure. I, was, I had become fully persuaded. I was completely confident that I had received forgiveness of sin. That there was, it was true that I had no doubt of my salvation and Satan could not derail me with that. He who has the son has life. But he who does not, does not. And that has to get settled. Yeah, well, you know, I'm just young. You have no clue when your last breath is coming, believe me. Dakota was what, 12 years old? Died Saturday night? 13, whatever. Died Saturday night. You have no guarantee. First John or John 1 12, but to all who believed him and accepted him. Now scripture adds just another expression of this. But to all who believed him and accepted him, that means they prayed that prayer and they received him, he gave them the right to become the children of God. I want to address a common misunderstanding. So I need you to be paying attention. I hear this so often, and it makes me cringe. We're all children of God. We're not all children of God. That's a misconception to keep some of us from becoming children of God. We're all children of God, so we're okay. No, we're not all children of God. We're not okay. Who does Scripture say are children of God? Those who receive Jesus as their Savior. And what's he say about the rest of the human race? Your sons and daughters of your father, the devil. You say, man, why are, you so, why are you so adamant about that? Because many people are deceived into thinking they're okay because of these kinds of errors. God loves everyone. Aren't we all his children? No, we're not. We lost that in the garden. We got to get it back, and we get it back by coming to Jesus. Then we become his children of God. Then we gain all the inheritance and all the rights of being sons and daughters of God. Did I hear, come on? I just want to say it again because it is a pet peeve of mine. You hear many sincere Christians say that. After all, we're all children of God. We are not all children of God. We are all God's creation. But we are not all children of God we lost that status in the garden in Genesis 3. Jesus told the evil religious leaders of Israel, you're of your father, the devil. It's only to those who put their trust in Jesus, those who come to him, those who call upon him, those who appeal to him, however you want to word it, those who place their unwavering trust in Jesus, they're the ones who become the sons and daughters of God. Those who are the ones who can claim that relationship with God the Father. He's God to the entire human race. He's only Father to those who come to him through Jesus Christ. John 5, 24, I'm telling you the truth. Those who listen to my message, meaning Jesus, and believe in God who sent me, Jesus, they have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins. 
but they have already passed from death into life. Another misconception is that we just somehow have to live this life and, and struggle through once we're a Christian and then we get eternal life. Wrong. You inherited, we inherited eternal life when we accepted him. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly to the fullest. We now have the fullness of eternal life dwelling within us because that life is in Christ. And where is Christ? He's in us. He dwells in us. We can be experiencing the quality of eternal life now. There's so much more. There's so much more than the church is experiencing. They have already passed from death to life. You gained eternal life the moment you put your trust in Jesus. Acts 13, 39. Everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight. Something the law of Moses could never do. The reason Peter put that in there is so that Cornelius knew this is something that no amount of good works, no amount of merit, no amount of money, no amount of education can do. None of that can make you right with God. Only believing in him and coming to him through his son makes us right with God. Only that brings peace. You can find all kinds of counterfeits for peace in this world, but you cannot know true peace until you know Jesus. I know that for a fact. I lived for a long time not knowing Jesus, and I didn't know till after I knew Jesus that I never knew peace. This is the message that Cornelius and the gang needed to hear. I want to stop here. I want to make just a very brief application and then pick up the story next week. So what we will have had after next week is the message, the application of the message, the results of the message. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. It's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. For those of us who are here, and we know we have already made that choice, and that is the large majority of us. I told you this was going to be foundational. This is going to be elementary. We have put our trust in Jesus. Some of us recently, some of us years ago. For me, it was 41 years ago. And we have called upon his name. And we have appealed to him to save us. And we have given our lives to him. We know we have forgiveness of sin. And we know we're right with God. And we know we have peace with God. We know we are reconciled to God our Father. We know that we've been bought back and the curse of Genesis 3 no longer applies to us. We know we have intimate relationship and intimate fellowship with him at any moment of any day or any night. We know that Jesus made a way we can come right up into God's presence, crawl up on his lap as, as a son or a daughter might do. Throw your arms around his neck and have intimate fellowship with him. Most of us in here know that. Most of us have experienced it to some degree or another. So what could be an application of this type of message for us? Any thoughts? Why did you have to come here and sit through a salvation message? If you already know him and you already know this stuff. Spread the word, spread the word, share it, share it. Any other thoughts? Renew our minds. 
so we can rejoice in that truth. Yeah, everything you just said. The application of this message for us is so we're going to become better equipped to explain these things to those who ask. You say, well, nobody's asking. I'm telling you, as sure as I'm standing here, that day is coming. People are going to be asking. It's not something that we're doing. It's something God's going to do. He's been promising, if I could say this, Lord, he's been threatening to do that for a long time. Why hasn't he done it? Probably because we're not quite ready yet. Now, after today, if we were listening, we should be better equipped that when they ask us what's this all about, we can give them a simple explanation. You know, how do I actually get saved? Don't be surprised if in the days ahead, people aren't literally saying to you, how do I get saved? And what are you going to say? And it better not be called Pastor Smith. Because I'm going to say, who told you to call me? Go back to them. Tell them I sent you back to them. I'll have the people that God sends me that I will get to lead to the Lord, and you're going to have the people that God brings to you to lead to the Lord. And that day is coming rapidly. Don't, don't be deceived at all by what's going on in our nation and the world. That, that, all that stuff is just it's counterfeit. You've got to see through that to what God is doing. And we need to be ready for it. We've been saying for months and months, revival, awakening, harvest, the church being revived, that's happening. Lost souls in the community being awakened, that's happening. The only thing that hasn't happened yet is God hasn't quite made that connection so that there's a harvest explosion. Lost souls are looking to have their sins forgiven. Because the Holy Spirit is relentlessly convicting them of their sin. there's a second application. There may be someone, there may be some ones here. You haven't made that choice yet. This might be the first time you even heard it. There's forgiveness of sins in Jesus. You've been carrying around a weight of sin and you don't even know it. If I asked our congregation what was maybe the first thing they felt after they accepted Jesus, many would say a lightness. And do you know why that is? Because we were carrying around this huge burden of sin, and Jesus lifted it off our shoulders, and we felt it. I, went in, I was in that state for a year. I guess I carried a lot of sin. I'm sure I did. I know I did. I knew me back then. But when that burden of sin was, let, was lifted off, I walked like I was on cloud nine for a, a year. There's some in here today, maybe, God wants to lift your burden of sin. He wants you to believe in Jesus, not just say, yeah, I believe there was a Jesus, but put your trust in him. Confess to him that, yeah, you know you sinned and you want him to become your savior and you'll give your life to him best you can. He'll take care of the rest. Hey, if that's you, you know what? I'm going to challenge you. Would you stand up right now in your pew and say you want to receive Jesus? I know he's calling your name. I know you're hearing it. The question is, are you going to give in to him or are you going to resist it and continue on in your sins, continue on carrying that burden, never knowing when you're actually going to die, risking ending up in the lake of fire instead of in heaven with him. If that's you, stand up.
No looking around. You made your own decision. You don't have to worry about what they, what they think. You made a good decision to stand. So did you guys. Steve. Did you guys just pray after me? Just pray simple words. We're going to pray right now. Lord Jesus, pray it out good and loud like you mean it. Lord Jesus, I heard it today. I believe it more than in my mind. I am willing put my trust in you. I'm going to give my life to you. I'm going to ask you to become my Savior. Amen. You guys can be seated. Go ahead, be seated. You can be seated. If you were serious, Jesus is faithful. He took your sins away and you just got saved. Now there's a huge growth journey that we're going to go on, but you just got saved. You took the first most important step. I have some information for you after the service. It's a little booklet like that. I'd like you to come and enforce what you just did by coming to me personally and telling me that you did it. Art, will you come? Ron, we'll need the orange mic turned on now. Congregation, if you'll stand. Sonny, will you bring the band forward? As quickly as possible. <laughs> here he comes, running up here. And you're going to pray once everybody gets settled. Oh, can't you? Okay, yeah, you come right back then. The Bible says that the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner that repented. So they're rejoicing. They're having a party right now. Praise God. They're having a party. Thank you. So, Heavenly Father, man, Lord, we just thank you for that, that, that powerful word that came from past, through Pastor this morning, Lord. To, to renew our minds to, 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 to your word and to reach out to others, giving them the hope that we have all within us, Lord. The hope of eternal life and then spending time with you a, a life full of joy and excitement father we just thank you for that word we need to hear that over and over again to remind us that when we, we, we as the holy spirit uses us to speak to others lord that he would speak through us and your words would just flow from the fountain of our mouths father that their lives can be changed because lord there is no hope in this world but your son jesus christ and lord we've come to realize that father that we can have eternal life with you, Father. A new beginning in, with you, Lord. And we just praise you for that. Holy Spirit, just, Lord, Holy Spirit, just, just put that in our hearts and our spirits, Lord, as we go, leave this place today, Lord. Let it just marinate through the week. And when others present themselves to, to ask of the hope within us, that the Holy Spirit would just speak through us, Father. Because we are your instruments. We are your extended hand in this world to touch the lives of others, Father, the Jesus that lives within us. So, Father, thank you for this word today. Protect this word in our spirits, Lord, and just let us meditate on it, walk in it, digest it, and just let it become a part of us each and every day of our lives, Lord, that we will see the glory that you are doing, Lord, and that your name would get all the glory and honor and praise. We thank you for this powerful word today, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. And we thank you for the souls also who have come to you, Lord, who have realized that they needed a Savior, Lord. And I know that heaven is rejoicing right now, Lord. 
because they're glad that they have come home to you, Father. And we just thank you and we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, we give you a hallelujah and praise your name. Thank you, Father. Amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org.